0: come from. Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer
1: space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. From outer space. Can
2: you play us in on that?
0: Yeah, I will. I'll I'll cut that in and right
2: now. Good evening. (laughs) I can't do it, dude. Oh, son of a bitch Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast from outer space It's your boy Rob Scott We got teabag in the house tonight Hey guys, thanks for listening And as always, it's Ryan Scott
0: Hello uh, everybody
2: And we got a very special guest tonight Coming all the way from... Where are you from again?
1: (laughs) Seattle
2: Anyways, it's Lexi Ray guys Some of you guys might know her, some of you guys might not but hey. she's uh, kind enough to grace us with her presence tonight on the show.
1: Yo, yo. What up? What up?
2: <laughs> We're going to keep it spooky. We're getting into, uh, I guess we could say one of all of our favorites, but mainly uh, one of Ryan's favorites. It's going to be Alfred Hitchcock.
0: Yes. And now, first off, we must all say, guys, come on, happy Halloween. It's Halloween. Happy Halloween from everybody here at the podcast from Outer Space. (sighs) You hear the crowd? And once again, the Halloween special has (laughs) returned. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting into Alfred Hitchcock today. Now, Rob. You say this is one of my favorites. This is like when I think of Hitchcock, I think of you because you were obsessed with horror when we were kids, showing me all this fucked up shit that you probably not shouldn't Alfred have. Been. Hitchcock. Yeah, dude, I remember you specifically showing me Alfred Hitchcock.
2: Okay, maybe I did.
0: And honestly, that's why I thought it was cool because you know I looked up to you when I was a kid, and um, <laughs> just I just when was a kid. Yeah, anymore. just when I was a kid, and I thought it was cool. <laughs> But uh, yes, um, it is the Halloween special, and also first off with our guest, um, the wonderful, the beautiful Miss Lexi Ray, I want to say, and maybe you guys can back me up here, chime in, um, because this is surprising to me, but we've got a lot of female listeners, is what I've come to gather. That's surprising? Yes. That's
1: surprising to me.
0: That's honestly surprised, <laughs> shocking to me. You know, girls used to tell me, shut up, get out of here when I was a kid. Yeah, and you're now, not a kid anymore. <laughs> Still do. <laughs> so, well, anyways, our female listenership is, is, is through the roof. So we figure, hell, let's appeal to the female clientele. We bring a uh, female perspective on the show. What do you think about that? As a female listener, does that like? Would I that don't listen? To okay, the no. I'm saying, <laughs> as a female, you're a female, correct?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <that's laughs> you correct. gotta ask that question, buddy. <laughs> I feel like you should know that by now. As a female, do you like hearing the female perspective, or do you give two shits? I couldn't care less.
1: Okay, yeah. that's great. So okay, so well, great thank
0: perspective.
1: You. <laughs> what?
3: I mean, maybe we're a little like Hitchcock, you know? He, the man was smart. He figured that, hell, you know, females go to the cinemas. They make the decision of what their men watch. So maybe we got these female audience members making their men listen to us. Okay,
0: that's or a bit of a stretch. maybe yeah.
3: it's just some yeah. single females, you How know? How is that you a never stretch?
1: Know. Maybe they just think <laughs> you guys are hot. Stretch at all.
2: Yeah, we got a I'm couple of good-looking guys on the
3: radio. True. <sighs> Boom. You're in. Thank you. Once again, this guy's got my bag. So as it is the Halloween special, we are covering
0: Sir Alfred Hitchcock himself, the master of suspense and arguably... Sir? Is he knighted? Yes, he is knighted. And arguably the most famous film director of all time. I mean, would you say, who else is more widely known? Steven Spiel? Yeah, I, I saw like him, him and Hitchcock, I think, are neck and neck for most famous. What about
2: Scorsese? Scorsese?
0: That's true too, but... Yep but I feel like um, Hitchcock really paved the way for these guys because both those guys cite Hitchcock as an influence. Okay. So I think right off the bat, he gets the crown. Um, You know, this guy was completely self-taught in the field. Alf, we'll call him Alf. Uh, He directed. (laughs) (laughs) himself. Should we we tell that story? Uh, No, too much time. Okay. We won't tell the full story, but just All you listeners out there, it's for all the party people. If you're partying it up this Halloween weekend um, and somebody kicks you out of a party and says you're out of here, just just be sure to act like the music's really loud and say, your name's Alf? Sup, Alf? (laughs) 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 uh, Yeah, so this guy, Alf, he directed over 53 films throughout his career, uh, which spanned nearly six decades. Four of his films often ranked among the greatest of all time. Uh, and he is regarded as one of the most influential and extensively studied filmmakers in cinema history. And all this, and he never won an Academy Award for Best Director. You guys believe that? He did get the AFI uh, Lifetime
2: Achievement Award, though, if that means anything. Yeah, well, does it? I don't. You tell me, dude. You're the film buff. Actually, that is a, a prestigious award. Adam's. But, I mean, hey, look at Leonardo DiCaprio. The guy finally gets an Oscar for a movie that he had, like, three fucking
0: lines in. That's true. The, the Academy is just all one big. Movie
2: and they're like, yeah, fuck it. We'll finally
3: give him one. It's just a bunch of politics. Am I right? I mean, those guys probably all work for Rotten Tomatoes anyway. He right, didn't now- jerk
2: off the right guy, so he never got an award. <laughs>
0: Now, before we get to this one, let's, I mean, what do you guys know? Uh, We'll go round robin, you know, popcorn. Uh, What do we know about Alf himself? Like, what was some of you guys' first experiences with the man, some of his films? Um, There we go.
3: Oh, man, put me on the spot. Uh, I I didn't get into Hitchcock until way late into life. I didn't have a cool older brother. I mean, I did, but not as young as you did. Uh, I remember watching Psycho. Probably like ten years ago, on Thanksgiving. <laughs> that classic Thanksgiving also, film. Also, we know that uh, Alfred, Sir Alf, if you will, is the OG Birdman.
0: That is true. Um, okay, so that's what we got on them and on Hitchcock. Um, how about how about our our guest of honor, uh, Miss Lexi? What do you got?
1: What's the question? <laughs>
0: First memories of <laughs> Alf. What do you know about Alf?
1: Um, I mean, I don't have any first memories of like his, himself specifically, but I mean, the movie, The Birds was the first movie that I saw of his and it freaked me the fuck out and it still does. It's terrifying. I mean, I saw
0: a did pack Did you guys of, just
2: recently see it?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. For yes, like we did. the millionth time. Yeah, yeah. it was
0: uh, research. We were doing a little research, went to an outdoor movie theater, caught- Nice. The birds. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, you know, classic cinematic piece. Um, yeah. So now you were scared of birds. You developed a phobia. You'd say
1: no. I wouldn't fucking say that. <laughs> I, I would say that. I mean, big packs of them are fucking weird, and I don't know. They just it's still scare a flock, me, buddy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah. Okay. Fuck off. Yeah.
0: And so birds. Um, okay. Anything else? Um yeah, I didn't
1: see Psycho until recently. I feel like I saw the rest of his movies before I saw Psycho. Mm, but um interesting. yeah, I mean like them all all classics, got to say.
2: Uh definitely got to go with Psycho and Rear Window as my two faves, but I did recently watch Rope, which was pretty interesting. Oh yeah,
1: that's a good Yeah, one.
2: really good. Um and then I haven't actually watched them yet, but I, in some of the research I was doing, which was mainly just watching interviews of him, uh, I want to go back and watch some of his earlier films because I feel like those probably are a little bit more interesting than the yeah. like the main hits, you know?
0: Yeah, although I will say, like some of his earlier stuff is kind of uh, like it's not as classic as like you know Rear Window, like the Technicolor stuff, and then there's like so his cool. older stuff is like. It's too almost too old. Like they're speaking too properly in it. So you're like, what the fuck is this? You know?
1: Wait, like <laughs> what?
0: Like Lady Vanishes. Like yeah. if you watch like the Ooh. old, old one, yeah. it's like they're like, My I say good shit. My And you're like,
3: what are they talking about? <laughs> yeah. I've
0: no I was watching that movie for like 30 minutes, still had no idea what the fuck they were talking about.
3: <laughs> oh, you don't speak Grinch? <laughs> yeah. I'm <laughs> not
0: as fluent as you over there. Um <laughs> All right, so I mean, do we want to hop into the guy's life, the guy's story? Let's um, let's set the scene. So the year is eighteen ninety nine.
1: Jesus, that's how fucking yeah. old he is. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <He has a, laughs> old he was. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Spanish American the Spanish American War had just ended. Like, Mount thank Ran- God. Mount Rainier <laughs> National Park was just signed into creation. Um, aspirin was just patented by Bayer. The bicycle frame also just patented, however, not by Bayer. <laughs> and Scott Joplin <laughs> was also granted the copyright for his Maple Leaf Rag. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, what is
1: that? yeah, what? dude, that's
0: like you know the old school music. Like, I'll cut some in here, like the Entertainer. Yeah, it's like you know the the dudes with like the like you know they a oh, it a Disney mess around. Uh, not, not, it's not Ray Charles. It's like, uh, but he He's is a older he is, than that. Yeah, and he is also a black man, and he played on the black keys because he was like too afraid to touch the white keys. But really interesting. You <laughs> check it out. No, I up. swear to God, Scott Joplin, <laughs> brilliant ragtime musician. Check it out. Um, so you know that's just a little bit of what's going on in the world. And on the thirteenth of August, on the outskirts of East London, in a flat above a grocer's shop. At 517 High Road, the youngest of three children, Alfred Joseph Hitchcock, was born. Now, this guy had uh, two older siblings, older brother, uh, William, older sister, Ellen. Uh, he was born to Emma Jane and William Edgar Hitchcock. William was a greengrocer, as his father before him had been.
1: What does that mean?
0: Green grocer. It's like um, I, I was looking it up. It's like a, almost like a bodega, but strictly um, like fruit, produce, and produce.
1: Adam, how the fuck do you know that?
0: For people with a green I thumb, I
3: researched.
1: Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> <And> so then <laughs> the jolly old. Yeah, so uh, you know, he was a green grocer. I and I guess at the time, this was like on the cusp of poor society. You know, it wasn't like he was a dirt poor peasant. Uh, but he also wasn't a rich man by any means. Just an old greengrocer.
3: grocer. Corey Matthews of his time.
1: Oh, god His grosser. old man was a crook gr- Got it.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, Hitchcock, uh, he could not remember ever having a playmate as a young lad. And uh, one or more prominent stories he would tell uh, about his childhood in interviews was his father... Sending him to the local police station with a note when he was five. Uh, The policeman looked at the note and locked him in a cell for five minutes,
3: saying, This is what we do to naughty boys.
0: Now, this experience.
2: That's
1: fucking terrifying. Yeah, this is also
2: not the first time Adam said that tonight.
0: (laughs) 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 This, uh, This experience left Alf with a lifelong fear of policemen because fuck the police, you know? I mean, I, I even if you in Jolly Old, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't too far off. Um, and apparently, he was scared stiff of anything to do with the law. He would not even drive a car in case he got a parking ticket.
3: Jesus, smart.
0: Now, yeah, that is smart. I can get behind that. I myself hate driving.
1: Yeah, you definitely do. I'll
0: vouch for that. <laughs> uh, now, when he was six, uh, the family moved to Limehouse. And leased uh, two stories at 130 and 175 Salmon Lane, uh, where they ran a fish and chip shop. This is classic London, right? (laughs) Um, They would move again when he was 11, uh, this time to Stephanie. And in October of 1910, Hitchcock was sent to St. Ignatius College in Stamford Hill, Tottenham, uh, this, is, this was a Jesuit grammar school. Now, I was looking this up. What the fuck is a Jesuit? You guys got a reading on that?
1: If you looked it up, shouldn't you know the answer to that?
0: <laughs> well, it was confusing. Like, I think they're Catholics, but they focus on, like, missionary work. I mean, I don't really know. Like, I guess they're more sh- also, like, very strict Catholics, um, yeah, and I this, feel
3: like they're the Mormon Catholics.
0: Okay, and this this had uh, this school he went to had a reputation for discipline. Uh, one of the stories was that the priests used to whack the boys with a hard rubber cane, and uh, this was this always came at the end of the day. That's what they so, thought it was. It was actually a big dealio. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's, uh, that's that's up for debate, but. Um, so the, the punishment came at the end of the day. So these kids had to sit through fucking Jesuit grammar classes just anti- knowing that they were going to get whacked with a giant rubber dildo.
3: And what would he say to him, Adam? This is what we do to naughty boys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Hitchcock said it was this that gave him um, a sense of fear. Like this is where he developed his sense of fear. And honestly, if if I'm looking at this, I'm thinking also, what is this guy known as master of suspense? Do we think maybe this is where he developed a little bit of his knack for suspense? You know, he's got to wait all day to get whacked off by one of these priests
3: (laughs) with a rubber cane. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know what it was. You know, I was too young. Now, see, when I was looking at documentaries and stuff, I heard something about this, but I also heard that there was an incident with his mother one time that kind of influenced his filmmaking, his style. Oh, I, I did will. not hear this. What do we got? Do you remember the story? Uh, uh, something about... I, I remember him being locked away. That I remember hearing. But then I guess he was in his mother's arms one time when he was really young. And she like sent someone to scare him. And he kind of held it against her. He had like a grudge against women. Totally understand that. I did not hear this. I heard did like... happened to you, buddy?
1: Yeah. I, <laughs> did you just write this?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I heard like he... Okay. I think this was a joke though. And again, Hitchcock, like British sense of humor, very dry. I'm not going to get all the jokes he's talking about in these interviews, but in one he said, like, they asked him where he got his sense of fear, like what makes him do all this scary shit. And he said, he, you know, he was like, my mother held me. And she said, boo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I think that was a joke. I don't know. He I mean, said he was six months old and his mom said boo to him. You don't remember. He's not going to remember that. I think that's like his sense of humor. He's a British guy, dude. There's, there's a very true. different sense of humor.
3: That would go right over my head.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, his favorite subject in school, what are we thinking that was? Oh, Hitch, what do we got? Lunch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Definitely not PE. I'll say science. Film? That's not a subject. In 1899? It <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> wasn't the subject <laughs> I didn't really yet. go to school. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> to, to go to film
0: studies. <laughs> hasn't even been invented yet. <laughs> so uh, his favorite subject in school was actually Geography. Um, That's he, what I said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he became very interested in maps uh, and like railway and like time timetables of like when the trains would come in and shit. Um, Hitchcock from a young age wanted to be an engineer. Uh, in July of 1913, at the age of 14, he left the Jesuit school uh, and he enrolled in night classes at the London County Council School of Engineering and Navigation. I'm saying that five times fast. <laughs> yeah, age fourteen. I mean, different time. You know, it was, it was old. Like you, you got pushed through school a lot faster back then. Um, with the Wish it was cane. like that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was also like you know they had some horrible shit going on, and people were pushed through school so that they could work and help out the families. You know, they had like child labor and shit. So uh, it wasn't all that great, you know. Now, sadly, in December, uh, the following year. Alf's father, who had been suffering from emphysema and kidney disease, died at the age of 52. Mm. Uh, now, he kept some of his night classes in order to help uh, support himself and help out his mother. As like both of his older siblings had left home, he took up a job for 15 shillings a week as a technical clerk at the Henley Telegraph and Cable Company now, th- I guess fifteen shillings. I was like doing some research on this. So this, he was working for about ninety bucks a week. That's dog shit pay. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> yeah. trying to help support his mom. Um, What's a shilling? Yeah, it's like a, it's, it's like this old, it's like um, like pirates. English you know? currency. Yeah, you know pirates are always trying to like get gold doubloons. Uh, That's I, not I the don't same, know thing, buddy. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know any pirates. No, it's like
2: uh it's just like a piece of silver. A shilling <laughs> is basically like a quarter it's like, back in the day. Yeah, but it's, it's basically like, not it's like if it's
1: equals ninety bucks. Yeah. Well
0: fifteen of them. So it was like Inflation. They, it's, because coins, it's
2: British. no one knows really no, what it is.
0: <laughs> coins <laughs> used to be just pieces of like silver. So this was before like coins were made, and they would trade them. You know, like a lot of like bartering shit. Like this
2: that. is the 1800s, dude, not the fucking like 1200s. Yeah, but a shilling, dude,
0: you could like throw, <laughs> draw- are <You're> not just <laughs> trading around <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yeah. uh,
2: obscure pieces <laughs> of <laughs> gold and dude, silver. shillings
0: were obscure pieces of silver, dude. Like each one could have a different value. Like, it, you know, it was, it's real fucking weird. Look into the yeah, British British money is still
2: like that today is what I'm saying. All right. Okay. pounds.
0: pounds.
2: It is today. Pounds. Yeah, but they're yes. all weird sizes.
0: You don't really know what's what. Uh, well, they're more regulated than shillings. Um, if we got any British listeners, let us know about shillings. Um, but so, all right, let's move on. Yeah, come on, we're, we're dwelling too much on the goddamn shilling. So, uh, when when the First World War broke out, this was in July of 1914. Alf was too young to enlist; um, he was 15 at the time. Uh, but when he reached the required age, age 18 in 1917, he received a C3 classification. Now, what this was, what it it basically said he was only suitable for sedentary work. He was too fat. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess this is like, I mean, he was ahead of his time. He's eaten so well. That's probably why he got this job for the shilling so that he can put some more food on the table. Then he doesn't have to get drafted in the war. He's too fat. Boom. (laughs) Um, Now he joined a cadet regiment of the Royal engineers and took part in briefings, weekend drills and exercises. Um, after the war, Hitchcock be d- began dabbling in creative writing. He became a founding editor and business manager of Henley's in-house publication, the Henley Telegraph. Um, he submitted several short stories here. Um, then he was promoted to the advertising department. Um, he wrote copy, did like graphic designs for Electric Cable. I've got a, a little picture of one of his uh, one of these designs he did. Um, basically, you know, still more designs
3: than Rob's ever done.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and basically, uh, he was designing these like old timey ads and shit. Um, and it, he says he like developed a, a true love for this job. He really liked doing it. Um, and this was, according to Alf himself, his first step towards cinema. Now, his career in film. It is this, like, we're kind of going to skip over some stuff here. I mean, we're going to get to, like, the gist of it. But, I mean, this guy did over 50 films, so we don't obviously have time to go through uh, each one at length. Um, But as it is Halloween, I figure, let's talk about some of his most famous thrillers, you know, Psycho, Vertigo, The Birds, that type of shit. So, while he's at Henley's, uh, he discovered the that famous players Lansky was opening a studio in London. Uh, this would these guys were like huge in the silent film era. This is the company that more or less went on to become Paramount Pictures. <clears throat> they were He heard they were planning to adapt the Mary Corelli novel, The Sorrows of Satan, into a film. Uh, and I was looking up this, obviously, like, this is a hell of a film for him to get his, his foot in the door on, like, super fucking Halloween, you know, guy makes a deal with Satan, uh, tra- like, making a deal with the devil, classic, like, Faustian film, that sort of thing, so, you know, he produces some drawings for title cards, and what this was is, like, in silent films, you know how between... In silent films, you know, like between <laughs> scenes, they have like words, like of what the people are doing. Yeah, it's like that. Um, so, you. so Alf starts drawing some of these up. He sends them to the studio. Bada bing, bada boom. They hire him, and in nineteen, at the age of twenty, he began working for Islington Studios in Pool Street, Huxton. So he's hired as a title card designer within a few years. Uh, he's working as an assistant director. So you he's guys
2: picking up a pattern here. All these great directors kind
0: of just fucking popped in, did whatever the fuck they want. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And especially like with Hitchcock because like film, like as we were saying, it's on it's on the early stages of being made. So he's just like, hey, Fucking weasel my way in here, right place, right time. Boom! He becomes one of the most famous directors in history, taking his own office like Steven Spielberg. Yep. Now, um, I guess like his first full-length film was *The Pleasure Garden*, and then it was *The Mountain Eagle*. These are both silent films, and uh, but all the prints of *The Mountain Eagle* have like disappeared. Nobody knows what the hell happened to it. Um, probably no one cares. No, I mean, this would be a very important piece to get Hitchcock's first film. It, it's, uh, I'm kidding. Dude. It stands at the top of the British Film Institute's most wanted list of lost films. Uh, now, in 1925, he directed his first feature film, which was Blackmail. Uh, this was also the first, uh, I guess they're called British talkies, like a, a film where they actually had sound and people talking and shit.
3: Well, they're called talkies here in America, too.
0: Well, I don't ever call him that You say to your Look friends Hey, go into the talkie <laughs> Maybe in <am>, fucking 1915 <laughs> He <I> did <laughs> <laughs> I have never before heard that in my life
2: Yeah, that's because you didn't grow up in a time Where it was transitioning over like that, you know You got a
0: distinct Are you going to a silent movie? Or are you going to a freaking talkie, you know Okay, alright So talkies um, Hitchcock Bringing the first one to Great Britain. Now, this is important uh, because his career basically starts in this trans- transition period uh, between silent and sound. So, you know, he learned like a lot on silent films, and then he's thrown into like a whole world of adding in sound. So, Hitchcock himself, he was a big proponent of being able to watch a film with no sound and still follow the story. So this was like one thing that he, I guess like one of his philosophies, he's saying like as a director, you should be able to visually tell a story and people are able to follow along with no sound.
3: Sounds a lot like the new Star Wars to me. What? You just want to put it on mute? (laughs) I could put it on mute and follow along with the story because it's the same story they've told. What he's saying
2: the
0: is War- it's such a great film that you don't even need sound to follow along <laughs> with the storyline. Yeah, I mean, all, all Star Wars stories are the same. They, some guys fight each other with laser swords, and then they find out they're someone's dad.
3: Whoa, oh, dude. Chill out. It's like an episode of Mari.
0: Now, uh, now, in the 1930s, he directed classic suspense films like The Man Who Knew Too Much and 39 Steps. On set, Hitchcock was a bit of a jokester. I uh, found this little tidbit out. He would often place whoopee cushions under his co workers' chairs. Uh, and he once held a dinner party where all the courses had just been uh, dyed blue with food coloring. <laughs> sounds like some shit you would do. <laughs> yeah. How's that even? That's not even a prank. Like, what? Just imagine Hitchcock sitting there. <laughs> oh, <gotcha. laughs> my God, the food is blue. <laughs> Um, also he once bet a guy from his crew that he couldn't spend a whole night locked in handcuffs Uh, so this guy's like okay you're on easy Um, thanks for the free money bitch Uh, not knowing Alfred fucking dosed him with a laxative before he put the handcuffs on What? <laughs> yeah. This guy was a classic prankster. He one time went as far as using his pranks as part of his creative process. During the filming of the 39 steps, he handcuffed the two leads together for a scene and then pretended that he lost the key. Um, so the actors were chained to each other for hours before he suddenly found the key. And he just explained this whole thing was just a ruse to help them build chemistry. That's actually pretty cool.
2: I mean Isn't that how probably you probably and Lexi got thing. together? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. What Alfred Hitchcock handcuffed us together while working on one of his films? No, that is not <laughs> how we met. I thought it was funny. Thank you.
3: <laughs>
0: now now uh, uh now speaking of his marriage, um also, in December of 19... 19- speaking of <laughs>
3: handcuffs. Yes. you yes. not proposing, are you? Speaking
0: of handcuffs, speaking of Lexi, um, oh my God. December of 1926, Hitchcock <laughs> married Alma Reville. In July of that same year, uh, their daughter and only child, Patricia Alma Hitchcock, was born. Uh, now, his marriage, this is very important in his career, as um, his wife became... Like, she was also she worked in the industry and she co-wrote many of his films and she also like helped him edit shit. He would bounce ideas off her, they would discuss ideas, she would like act stuff from his stories that she didn't like. Shit like that. Real collaborative effort here. Um because you know, collaborative
2: or controlling?
0: I'd say collaborative <laughs> because a lot of people say um that she played a big role in his success and I mean, it's the classic line behind every great man is a woman. Bet. A great woman. Is that is that the line? Is it behind every man is a great woman, or is it behind every great man is a great woman?
1: Dude, no, that is not the fucking line. <laughs> What's the line? It's the fucking first thing.
0: Behind every great man is a woman.
1: I don't know, but it's not it's, great. Isn't in the sentence twice? I know okay, that.
0: Okay, okay. So it's it's one of them is great, but anyway, probably
3: the woman.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of confusing.
3: What I thought was interesting was they actually met a long time before that when he was doing his little internship thing but she kind of refused to be with him because he's fat like because <laughs> he didn't have a job
0: yeah um it was like I guess this is a, also some British thing like you know uh, females at that time they don't want to they, they can't even be seen talking to a guy without a job
1: yeah, it's right. still the same no it's
0: not <laughs> 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 the, your old roommate Dated a guy with no job.
1: Who? He lived at your house. Oh, Aaron? Yeah.
0: (laughs) So come on. Don't tell me it's not the same. This never would have happened in 1920s Britain.
1: Yeah. She's fucking retarded. (laughs) It's completely different.
0: (laughs) Um, So let's get now like we get into the Hollywood era, um, you know, 1939 uh, Hitchcock's big move—he he moves out to Hollywood. Uh, this was actually a huge deal because at the time he was huge in British cinema. He even became like bigger—not just physically. Yeah, not just physically. He—he uh, <laughs> he was even bigger than like British cinema as a whole. So it's only bigger natural. Than Jesus. Yeah. So it's like he's got to move to Hollywood. Like this was the mecca of film. Um, still is. So first film he makes here, Rebecca, nineteen forty, won the Academy Award for Best Picture. And so, boom, right off the bat, he's fucking nailing home runs, you know?
3: Regular Bryce Harper.
0: Yeah, now, throughout the 40s is really where he became, like, successful as uh, a director. Like, he's basically like Kendrick Lamar. Like, nothing that he does misses. Everything's a hit. Um, you know, other notable films in this period include Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Shadow of a Doubt, Spellbound, Notorious. I think he did something like twelve full-length films in this time. This and is then, not
3: the Brangelina, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, or the uh, Biggie Smalls Notorious, is it? Uh, no, not the Biggie Smalls Notorious,
0: and I very barely... similar though. Um, okay, <laughs> I believe it's also, I think it is similar to the Brad and Angelina Mr. and Mrs. Yeah, Smith. it is. Yeah, I think it that
2: was like a remake.
0: Yeah, we're not very talking cool. the
2: uh Vince Vaughn psycho here either tonight, guys.
0: Yeah, now, um, another good one. Now, this is one I wanted to talk to. So, Rope, uh, this was one that he made in 1948. Uh, check this one out if you haven't. Uh, it's very good, yeah, and it's really interesting too. Like the stuff he did with filming here. Um, like the film appears to have been shot in a single take. So it's like, you don't like watch the camera when you watch this movie, if you can like consciously remember, and you don't like ever really see cuts like in, in a normal movie. It's crazy. Um, and the way that he did it, like um, it's basically like 10 takes, each one ranging from four and a half to 10 minutes, because 10 minute was all the film that would fit in the camera at the time. And This was also the first of four films that Jimmy Stewart was in with Hitchcock. He would become a recurring actor that he used. Great Um, fucking actor. Yep. And now he's got a great speech in the end. Check it out. Very cool fucking movie. Uh, Now, it was actually inspired by the uh, Leopold and Loeb, I believe is his name. Uh, Leopold and Loeb case of the 1920s. Now, this case is actually very fucked up. This will be like the first bit of our Halloween content. Um there's actually a great documentary on it on PBS if you're into like true crime type shit. But basically these fucking like this is like you guys ever seen Murder by Numbers?
1: Oh yeah, so good.
0: So the this classic. Is, yeah, this is like some shit like that. It's like uh these two rich like frat guys, they try to plan the perfect murder. This is the actual case um that the movie's based on. These two rich frat guys They try to plan the perfect murder just to see if they can do it. Um, Now, they murdered one of the guy's 14-year-old cousins uh, with a chisel and then poured hydrochloric acid on his face and genitals to cover up the identity. And then um, one of the fucking idiots dropped his glasses. And then so like they find those, obviously trace it back to him because he had like a rare prescription or some shit. And he fucking cracks immediately under pressure. And they they admit the whole thing. And because they're rich, they fucking get off with life instead of the death penalty.
1: Mm. Get off? I mean, I would rather die. I, I don't see how like the death sentence would be. A better scenario.
0: Well, I think it's for like the families of the boy. They wanted them dead, you know, eye for an eye. The boy. Yeah,
1: I would say I'd prefer death, though. Like, I don't want to fucking sit in jail for the next hundred years.
0: Well, you're uh, what's known as a rare rose, Lexi. So. Uh, (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Uh, Now, uh, I mean, yeah, this case is fucked up. Check it out. Um, And. And they were 14. The, the, the kid they, the killed, kid was. they killed was. Oh. And yeah, it's fucked up, these fucking pretentious rich guys. But the lawyer, I guess, that like got them life instead of the death penalty, he gave this like fucking insane, like monumental speech. Uh, and Hitchcock kind of like echoed that speech, but like reverse in rope. Um, so check it out. Very great Hitchcock movie. I put it up there with one of my favorites. Me too. Now we get into the 50s and early 60s. This was the peak of his career. Um, This is where he made um, what are regarded as his best films, and now they are regarded as some of the best films of all time. We've got Strangers on a Train in 51, Dial M for Murder in 54, Rear Window in 54. He remade his own film, The Man Who Knew Too Much in 56, uh, Vertigo in 1958 and North by Northwest in 59. All of these, along with his hugely popular TV series, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Um, This is basically, uh, it's cool. I think it's on Amazon Prime right now. Check it out. Uh, It's kind of like Rod Serling type, like Twilight Zone type. Like Hitchcock did the own intro. With this and his cameo appearances, uh, like, you know, he cameos in a lot of his own films. Uh, He gave a lot of interesting interviews at this time. Um, and the the TV series was a fucking smash hit. It was on from fifty five to sixty five, and this this all this stuff combined is what made him a legend. And um, it was really though the show that kind of launched him into superstardom. You know, now he's like Eminem. He fucking can't go anywhere. You know,
3: Twilight Zone also an episode we did. Check that out.
0: Yeah, great plug. Now, so (laughs) at this so at this time, he's like. You know, he can't go out to Chili's anymore to eat because everybody's swarming him. Everybody knows him. Like, his show and doing the cameo, this is, like, how he became, like, a known, um, what do you call it, character, you know? Yeah, a lot of people don't know the first Chili's was in fucking Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah, and... uh, (laughs) And it's like, uh, because think about it, like most directors, like of that time, like you probably wouldn't recognize them, but Hitchcock, like you're going to recognize him right off the bat. Am I right? A big fat you British guy it. in a tuxedo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like that too. Like it, it, he became like a character, like almost like a cartoon character, you know, always wearing the black suit as basically we said. just
2: a taller version of Danny DeVito as the penguin.
0: Yeah. Um, a little insulting on some <laughs> level um, and, and his like sense of British humor in interviews. Like we were talking about that's, that's going right over teabags head. Um, but you know, pretty funny guy I'd say for making all this like terrifying shit, like a uh, pretty normal guy, pretty, uh, pretty funny guy, you know, almost similar to like a Stephen King type, you know, you're like, Oh my God, like something crazy must've happened to this guy to make all this fucked up shit. But then he's just like a normal dude. Would have loved to have him on the show. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he would have got a kick out of uh, T-Bag's Grinch impersonation. <laughs> now, <laughs> <laughs> now, he also, uh, th- around this period, um, in one of his interviews, he gave this theory on like suspense, which is known as his, the bomb theory. So he would say, like, um, I'll try to explain. Let me know if you guys are tracking. So there's, like, a table of, like, five people, and boom, a bomb goes off. Now, there's actually just four people here. Uh, okay, so a table of four people. Uh, we're, you know We're talking, we're jiving it up about God knows what, and then boom, a bomb goes off. The audience basically gets like five seconds of shock when the bomb goes off. Now, you take that same scenario and you tell the audience a bomb's going to go off in five minutes, but the people at the table don't know. You just change the whole dynamic of that scene because now the audience knows the people don't, So they're fucking like waiting for it. You know, you just built what is known as suspense.
3: Mm. It's like when a girl sends dirty messages to you all day.
0: Oh God. How is it like that? Let's hear, let's hear your Hitchcock bomb theory on girls.
3: All day. She says, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And you know, it's (laughs) going to happen. So so would the other one, just be boom. She comes in your room naked. (laughs) and slaps
2: you with a rubber fucking dildo and says, this is what is we not do tonight, boys.
0: What? I mean, yeah. Is that yeah. a good analogy? Okay, there we go. Teabag's uh, nudes theory. That was horrible. <laughs> Suspense
2: builds from fucking phone sex for Teabag over here.
0: Still single, ladies. <laughs> now, uh, uh, now, some of his most famous films include Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho and the Birds. Um, his works became renowned for their depictions of violence, although many of his plots um, are basically just there to serve as a tool for understanding like uh, the complex psyche of the characters that he made. So the first one that we, I wanted us to talk about, uh, Vertigo, 1958. You guys seen this film, everybody? I bet your sweet ass we have. Yep. All right, so first off, I mean, what do you guys think of the film? Do we like the film, not like the film?
1: Uh, To be honest, I fell asleep halfway through. Okay. (laughs) I
2: mean, not one of his most exciting works, but definitely probably top five.
0: Okay. Um, This is a classic Hitchcock film. If you haven't seen it, uh, check it out. But we're not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it because it does have a pretty mind-bending twist in there. Um, I didn't get that far. Yeah, so check out the twist if you haven't. Uh, but furthermore... Twisted your mind to sleep. A lot of people say that this was Alf's most personal work. And this is one that is often uh, lumped in there with Citizen Kane as one of the best films of all time. Uh, this film also pioneered the dolly zoom technique. You guys ever heard of that?
3: Never heard of it.
0: So you know in uh, like Lord of the Rings, when he's on the trail... <laughs> And it does that zoom where like the camera's going in, but it's also zooming out at the same time. You know what I'm talking about? This is in like a lot of films.
1: I've never seen the Lord. When he's
0: going to Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's <laughs> what he does in the movies. So yeah.
3: <laughs> Even the trees walk in those films.
0: <laughs> okay. Like, I can't think of another example right off the bat, but you know what I'm talking about? The camera moves in, but also like zooms out at the same time. So it gives it this like weird effect. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Okay. I get it. They that? don't fucking get it. <laughs> okay. So, so this is like he pioneered that he fucking invented this technique. Um And this is one of the main now. Okay. This is fucked up because so obviously Vertigo comes out. Now it's like one of the best films of all time, but I guess it wasn't accepted well when it came out like a lot of great films, you know, like we talk about Halloween fucking um, shit like that. But it's
2: like Van Gogh. No one liked his shit when he was alive. And now that he's dead, everyone Mm. wants a fucking piece of that ass.
0: But Hitchcock himself, (laughs) he thought like the main reason Vertigo wasn't more of a hit was because of the aging star, Jimmy Stewart. So he said, I'm never using this fuck again in any one of my films ever. Oh, I don't think that he
1: said that. He definitely (laughs) didn't.
0: Well, it is something similar to that, you know. Um, (laughs) Jimmy, you
2: broke my heart.
0: (laughs) He he wanted Cary Grant instead. And apparently, like this was for his next film, he wanted to use Cary Grant. uh, And apparently Hitchcock, like he he just couldn't tell Jimmy because they were friends. So instead he just waited until... Um, Jimmy took another part in uh, Bell, Book, and Candle and then he just used that as an excuse to uh, cast Grant and he never confronted Jimmy um, and then they were able to maintain their friendship. And no one's ever heard mm. of that movie since. Yeah. Uh, now, let's get into Psycho, okay? Maybe the one we've all seen a little bit more recently, yeah? Not Falling Asleep in? I've um, seen it and okay. I was awake.
3: Now, <laughs> I mean, arguably one of his most notorious films, dude. You got the whole shower scene, the knife, the ring, 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 ring. Right? Yeah. Or am I mixing up films again like I thought the birds? No, that's No, psycho. you're right. <laughs> it's 100% psycho.
0: I do remember it scaring me as a young lad. What, what about you guys? Anything?
1: Um, I mean, I just feel like the way they filmed it and like, I just liked like a lot of the way they filmed a lot of the parts of the shower scene, especially like the zooming in or out, I guess, of her eye at the end, which I feel like they did that. It wasn't just a picture that they were oh, yeah. pulling out of, you know, it's like, they just, I don't know how to explain it, but it, I mean, it's, it's really cool. And you can tell kind of towards the end, she like almost blinks, but she doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. it's really cool.
2: I think the uh, perspective that they use from like the uh, killer's point of view kind of laid the groundwork for how horror movies from that movie going forward would kind of be portrayed, at least in good horror mm-hmm. movies. Definitely. Male gaze.
0: I don't know if I would call it that. Yeah, no, that's, that's what it's called. <laughs> uh, voyeurism. <laughs> a little bit oh, of a voyeur. like, Okay. Um, yeah, this, I would say, is uh, without a doubt the most well-known film of his career. I mean, would you guys agree?
3: Yeah. I guess. That's what I think of when I think Hitchcock or The Bird, yeah.
0: Yeah, also the most profitable. Um, he pers- Hitchcock personally made uh, somewhere around $15 million on this film. That's about $127 million in in uh, 2019. Yeah. Um, he also basically funded the whole fucking movie himself because nobody wanted to make it. Uh, but he was so big, literally and, uh, and physically, <laughs> <laughs> physically and metaphorically, uh, he was so big at the time that uh, he could just do whatever the fuck he wanted. So he offered at first to film Psycho in black and white so that it was cheaper. He said, hey, I'll even use Alfred Hitchcock presents um the the crew from that just to save money yet again um and paramount rejected this didn't he fucking like put
2: his house down as collateral on the film saw it in a, well, in a i was gonna movie. ask does
3: anybody know like the actual cost of the film i'd be very interested in that i think he actually might have
2: sold the house that he was living in at the time to help fund it
1: yeah i feel like you're right I think and
2: you're then right after mentioned.
0: he was like i'm living in a fucking mansion now bitches Yeah, I mean, making a fifteen mil. So the budget was eight hundred and six k. Okay, that's nothing.
1: Mm, I'm sure back then it was a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, he said, "Fuck it." So Paramount rejects this. They were saying, "Hey, our sound stages are all booked." Um, This was a lie. Um, Now, Hitchcock then said, okay, I'll personally finance this shit, and I'll film it at Universal International using my own production crew if you guys, Paramount, just distribute it. Um, So they obviously agree to this, um, and Hitchcock acquired the rights to the novel for $9,500.
1: What a steal.
0: Yes, and apparently he also had some dudes like buy up a bunch of copies of the book so that people couldn't like... See the ending. Yeah, like predict the surprise twist ending. Smart. Now, this one, at, like um, like what Hitchcock says about this one is that it, it was a horror film. Like, I guess he doesn't personally consider it a horror film, but he says it was like the sense that he wanted people to carry the fear from the movie with them. When they left So like he wanted you To be paranoid In the shower Did you guys have that at all?
1: Hundred percent.
0: Yeah Yeah, that's what he was going for Now he He also like I feel like he kind of Treated this as like A bit of a joke You know like as we said The guy was a fucking prankster And I feel like This is essentially Like him just fucking around And he influences An entire genre of film He planned it And a lot of people say Like this is the Earliest example Of the slasher film So I think there was only maybe like one or two movies that predated it at the time that was like on par with it and like nobody's heard of the other two. Am I right? Can you even name them? Uh, One was Peeping Tom, which came out like a a few months before it. But uh, I mean, it was like... Was that a porno? (laughs) <laughs> no it was not a It was not noteworthy though but obviously, like, yeah, the shower scene was the most monumental. I mean, he's killing off the main star like right in the beginning. Uh, also, no flushing toilet had ever appeared on mainstream film or television at that time in the United States. That's weird.
3: Well, there you go. <laughs> so uh toilet humor.
0: Yeah, and, it, and like also what he did, which I thought this was interesting. He's like, he intentionally sent like the, I guess they had a lot of like strict codes on what you could film and not obviously fucking toilets. Uh, they wouldn't let you film, but there was a lot of like strict codes and stuff. So he would purposely send cuts that were like way more violent so that they would be like, all right, you have to cut this out, but then he could have it the way you want it. So he would be like, obviously, I'm going to axe that. Yeah, but then I can keep this stuff that's like not so bad in there. Going off of the whole like, uh, you know, killing Janet Lee in that, in that shower scene um, towards the beginning of the film. Um, also, would not let people into the film if it had already started. Uh, he was extremely adamant about this. Good. Yeah, it, like he thought that if people went and didn't see Janet Lee, like if they had came after she had already been murdered, they would feel cheated and they wouldn't like get the suspense. They wouldn't get the buildup. They wouldn't – the twist wouldn't hit him the same. So he like wouldn't let anybody in after it had started.
1: I mean and if you're just going to be late to a movie, you should
0: fuck off anyways. Exactly. <laughs> you <know? laughs> I think huh. I think people really need to like relearn movie etiquette.
1: Yes, fully yeah. agree.
0: <laughs> and now, uh, so as this is a Halloween episode, want to get into some of the, uh, this is some of the more grotesque stuff. We're going to get into the influences of Psycho. So, uh, based off the 1959 novel by Robert Blosh, uh, the story draws its main influences from two cases. Now, first influence of Norman Bates, uh, we probably all know or at, at the very least, have heard of um, the case of Ed Gein, the butcher of Plainfield. You guys, you guys heard of this guy? I'm familiar. Duh. So no.
3: Never heard of him. I'm not a big horror guy. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. See, now this is that, this Jesus. is the test
0: because Adam, I know, is not a big horror guy. So he now you haven't heard of this. So, um, would that be classified as
1: horror if it's like real life?
3: Not a sorry. big fan of murder either.
0: <laughs> 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 so uh, so um, Edgy now disclaimer, like if you guys don't like movies like psycho Texas Chainsaw Massacre, silence of the lambs, maybe go ahead and even listen. Yeah, to some, maybe go so ahead and just one. no, keep listening, but maybe just fast forward about 10 minutes. Cause we're going to get to some pretty gruesome stuff here. Um, but the novel was loosely inspired by the case of convicted Wisconsin murderer and grave robber Ed Gein. Uh Now, as as Blanche, the uh, the writer we're not talking about uh, grave robbers, like in our
2: last episode, the uh, oh. Egyptian Book of the Dead. Mm. Check that out if
0: you haven't already.
2: Yeah, although kind of similar. Now, as uh, um, no one was buying shit from him, I don't think. So, uh,
0: <laughs> so Blanche lived. Blanche, who wrote the novel. He lived about 40 miles away from Plainfield, Wisconsin, which is where Ed Gein committed his crimes. Um, so he had at the very least heard of the case, but he didn't truly know all the details. Now, both Gein and Norman Bates uh, lived in isolated rural locations. Um, each had a deceased domineering mother. Uh, they had sealed off her room as a shrine to her. Um, each dressed in as a woman, although Bates, uh, was wearing clothes, not a woman's skin. Um, however, unlike Bates, Gein is not strictly considered a serial killer as he was only charged with the murder of two women. Now, Ed Gein, let's like, let's get into this guy. So just, I was just an average neighborhood handyman, uh, used to babysit neighborhood kids and did handiwork around town. Um, And this guy was actually like the definition of like creepy old house, like actual boogeyman, old man from family guy, um, (laughs) fucking pure insanity. Uh, you know, like basically if you never heard about this guy, um, he just went batshit insane after his mother died, who was like an insane religious fanatic that uh, always wished he was a girl. Was literally the mom Ooh. from Psycho, like always yelling at him, like punishing him. Um, Similar to uh, Bobby Boucher's mom. Yes, exactly like Bobby <laughs> Boucher's mom. Also, the girls <laughs> are the devil. Also, a little bit of influence there now. Uh, Living in solitude This did nothing But feed this guy's insanity Because after his mom died It was just him in the house He boarded up a room Um, Started making nipple belts Yeah He would read pulp magazines And adventure stories About Nazi war crimes Cannibal tribes And shrunken heads That type of shit That's Uh, your childhood
3: right there (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> Um, Now he also claimed
3: that he. on Lexi. Okay, okay.
0: <laughs> now will you let me finish? He also claimed that he saw faces in the leaves that would laugh at him, and vultures in all the trees around his house. Um, Now he was mostly a grave robber, although he did murder two local women, as we said. Um, soon after his mother's death, Gein began to create a woman suit so that he could become his mother and literally crawl into her skin. Now, oh when this guy gets caught and they search his house, th- this is a little list of what they find. Now, T-Bag, since you're not a big horror murder guy, we're going to have you read off this list.
3: You're a real good friend. <laughs> Oh God! How do you want me to read this?
0: Just normally, like Grinch. you're like you're going through
3: a <laughs> list. Like
0: you're going through Tuesday's grocery list.
3: A wastebasket made of oh God, this is already gross. <laughs> <laughs> a wastebasket made of human skin. Several chair seats upholstered in human skin. Human skulls on his bedposts. Sick bowls made from human skulls. A corset made from a female torso, skin from shoulders to waist. I'm going to have nightmares. (laughs) Guy was a big Misfits fan. Leggings made from human leg skin. Masks made from the skin of female heads. Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Mary Hogan's skull in a box. Bernice (laughs) Warden's entire head in a burlap sack. Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of the stove. <laughs> Nine vaginas in a shoebox. I'm sorry, what was that? Well, that's funny to you, Let's read that again. Nine vaginas in a shoebox. That's hilarious. <laughs>
1: now, vaginas, that's not really specific. Like, the whole thing? Yeah, how is that possible?
0: Well, he's a bit of a surgeon, I guess. <laughs> Keeping the valuables in the shoebox. What do you think he did with box. them? He put them over his dick. Nine at a time. <laughs> Not nine <laughs> at a time. I right, keep, keep
3: going with the list. Then we'll get into some of this stuff. A belt made from female human nipples. Four noses. A pair of lips on a window shade drawstring. A lampshade made from the skin of human face. Ten human heads. Because... Where was the 10th vagina?
2: That was the window drawstring.
0: (laughs) The
1: lips. (laughs) The lips.
0: Yeah, so uh, um, this is what the police found in this guy's house. Now, I would love a a nipple belt personally. (laughs) Sounds kind of cool. I'll get you one for your birthday. Thank you. Why don't you check out one of these nine vaginas I have in a shoebox (laughs) under my bed? Yeah, I guess apparently he would like dress up and all... Like he wanted to be a woman, but it... All right, like, it, it's not like now where Ed Gein could have been on the cover of Vanity Fair. <laughs> or it's is true? Like, it's like, back then... He's like, the Caitlyn
2: Jenner of his era. Really.
0: <laughs> I mean, that, no, but think about it. Think about it. Like, he's in fucking bumfuck middle of nowhere Wisconsin. When you're insane there and you want to be a woman, as Ed did, you just... Cut up skin and and wear it as a woman. <laughs> I don't think anyone besides him does that. No, I'm saying that was his solution, but it's like, think about it. If this guy had the internet, he'd probably be all right. I don't
1: know. I feel like Bruce Jenner <laughs> definitely has a box of vaginas.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> right, like for sure. <laughs> um. So yeah, Gene went on. He went on he to serve. Has a
2: nipple belt. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so Gene, uh, he went on to serve as the inspiration for, of course, Psycho, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. So really, like, without this guy, the horror film genre would would not be the same. Especially like Psycho and Texas Chainsaw; those changed like the horror film genre. And you don't get that without uh, Old Ed. Now, number two influence. Um, this one. You may not have heard of, Uh, and this is almost, although not even in the same ballpark of disturbing as Ed, uh, but almost as disturbing. This is Calvin T. Beck. Now, in the novel Psycho, Norman Bates is described as a morbidly obese, middle-aged man with stringy long hair who's obsessed with the occult and porn.
2: Cool. Sounds like yeah, you, buddy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are not comparing me to Psychos. I mean, the shoe fits. The
2: similarities are, yeah. just punching us in the face. If one
0: of the, the nine right. vaginas fits, yeah. And now in the book, uh, you got all these shoe boxes. In so for? you guys think oh, wow. I'm overweight and I have long stringy hair? We didn't. We didn't see that. say that part.
2: <laughs> okay, so I said you got vaginas in these shoeboxes, potentially.
0: Now, in the book, Norman is also a heavy boozer who kills after alcoholic blackouts. Uh, this is similar to like Jeffrey Dahmer did this. Now, Calvin T. Beck, uh, this guy later published Castle of Frankenstein magazine. Um, he knew the writer of the novel from like sci-fi enthusiast clubs in New York. And apparently wherever is Beck- Is the still a thing? Um, probably, yeah. But apparently wherever this guy went, he was accompanied by his mother, Helen, uh, who never went anywhere without a heavy fur coat, even in the summer. Uh, She was noisy, dominating, uh, domineering uh, little Greek woman who followed Calvin everywhere. Uh If you went and visited his house in New Jersey, he'd prop the door open while his his mother was screaming in the background at the top of her lungs until uh he would slam the door abruptly so this is kind of like the mom in uh it you know Eddie's mom, yeah. <laughs> It's exactly like that. Uh, Classic New Jersey. And Robert Bloch, who wrote the novel Psycho, he used uh, the Becks as a partial template for the Norman and Norma Bates uh, relationship, although he never publicly admitted this for fear of a lawsuit. Uh, But Beck even heard of this connection, uh, and he simply laughed before abruptly changing the subject. Um, So, yeah, that's just some influence for Psycho for you. So now let's get into the last one Uh, we'll talk about. This is The Birds, uh, 1963. Now, you guys have all seen this, correct? Yes, sir. I
1: was just going to say that. (laughs) Yep.
3: Parts of it, yeah. (laughs) So that's (laughs) enough. Oh, my God, dude. So I was only
2: seeing Psycho. (laughs) For you guys... Um, I mean, wait.
3: everybody's seen the whole bird flock, the whole bird pack flocking in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay,
0: yeah, yeah. sweetie.
3: <laughs> yeah, everybody's seen like the, you know, what, like the
0: playground scene. Is that what you're talking about? Big That's old the pack of birds He around. doesn't lady even know. Phone. He's just talking.
1: He doesn't even remember. The lady in the phone booth.
0: Yeah, he knows. <laughs> lady in the phone booth. Teabag knows. All right. So um, what do you guys think of the film? Thoughts on the film? What are we thinking? It was all right. It was all right.
1: Oh my god, Rob! It was great.
0: Now this is your favorite, correct? <laughs> you just said it scared yes. you.
1: Exactly. I love to be scared.
3: See, female audience. Okay, to be now so that makes
2: sense now because you're with this psycho.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, what parts specifically, or like any scenes that like specifically haunted you?
1: Um. Well.
0: The pack of birds.
1: Yeah, that mainly. And uh, I thought the brunette should have played the main character. That was pretty haunting. And um <laughs> Wait, <you> explain that. <laughs> I just feel like uh the blonde lady, she was boring and okay. she wasn't as um pretty as the other lady. Okay. And when the like when everyone's freaking out and the fucking gas station like explodes and shit and then they have like the birds like looking over, like, the whole city, I just feel like that shot is super creepy, and I feel like that really, like, shows the fear. The birds can see everything. Like, you can see everything in that shot, and, like, so can they, but, like, the people can't see every single bird. I don't know. I think it's just, like, it's cool how they did that.
0: Okay. Yeah, so this one, again, remind Like, different than Psycho, where, like, Psycho, you get the murder right off the bat, the birds is more of, like, a slow burn way more suspense, way more buildup. Yeah. And then that's like also partially what makes that like playground scene so terrifying. Like, you know what I'm talking about in the playground where she's smoking the cigarette and it's like one bird and then she turns and there's like maybe like 10 birds. That is And then like eventually she's like smoking the cigarette, like thinking, thinking. And then there's like Hundreds of birds behind her And you're like so terrified And also this is what I'm thinking When we went to see this You know there's the children's choir singing In the background Yeah Dude you know when you hear children's choir singing Bad shit's gonna happen Right (laughs) Name me a movie where you hear kids singing And something bad doesn't happen Even in Home Alone When they're in the church And then the robbers come and fuck up his house
1: yeah, okay, but he that's still wins a really in the bad end. Bad so. example, yeah. Okay. Exa- yeah Why don't you? That's yeah. What do you? Your house.
0: <laughs> name me a movie where there's children singing. Name me another movie besides Home Alone. Fucking uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. The kids singing Ooh, the song. Got him. Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood. The Manson cult singing their creepy little song. Do you really that's not kids. Search this before this fucking episode. Yes, <laughs> i do <called> doing research. <laughs> Wait, like, do we not think that that kid singing is automatically creepy? You guys like that? I think it's creepy. It agreed. <laughs> you guys like? <laughs> you, you guys are acting fully. like I'm fucking insane over oh, here. Man, I, I agreed with you the whole time. I don't think you're insane. Thank you. I do. tea bags with me on this one. Uh, now also for the birds. Based on a true story, you guys aware of this? What? I did not know that. Bit of a shocker, huh? Yeah. This is a story from 1961. Now, this is a headline from the front page of the Sentinel, and it read,
3: Seabird invasion hits coastal homes. (laughs) sounded
0: good. This incident took place in Capitola, California, in August of 1961, A group of birds seemed to attack an entire community. Uh, Hordes of seabirds were dive-bombing homes, crashing into cars, and spewing half-digested anchovies everywhere. Now, right off the bat, what are we thinking? I mean, that's crazy, right? The birds is a real movie? Is, 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 is Like, that really can happen? Birds Sounds loosely people?
1: based. It doesn't sound... Well, yeah,
0: it, it is loosely based, but, like, nobody knew why the fuck these birds did this. Someone was feeding Sounds them alka they Probably s- got sick. Well, yeah, supposedly the birds had eaten a toxic algae.
1: Exactly, I just said that.
0: Which caused them <laughs> to behave strangely... <laughs> Uh, but this was not identified until the mid eighties, but back in the sixties, it was blamed on the fog. Makes they just saw oh, oh, the birds got mixed up in the fog, and then that's also in classic. The, they use that example in the birds movie. you remember? Ah, yeah, it must have been the fog, Susan. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not to end on like a sour note here, but the birds is also where we get some like. Hitchcock had I guess some controversial views on actors and and women. Now T-Bag, you're going to love this because you also hate women. Um no, not
3: that. <laughs> not the case.
0: Now uh Hitchcock said that actors were like cattle and that they needed to keep their egos in check. Uh despite Doesn't his
3: like a cow with a big ego.
0: <laughs> yeah, now despite <laughs> his reputation as a man who disliked actors um actors who worked with him gave like the most brilliant performances of their careers wasn't he like pretty close with some of the actors he worked with though oh yeah we'll find out he was very close with some of them jesus christ now but yeah that's what i'm saying so it's like also kind of like uh think of like any like great director like kubrick people also say he was like really hard on his actors like he made um what's the lady's name from the shining What's the actress's name? Shelley
1: Duval. Yeah, he
0: made Shelley Duval like retake like hundreds and hundreds of times until like he got it right and it's like that movie she said like broke her mentally. Yeah. Um and like I guess H- Hitchcock was kind of the same way but that's why we get such like mm. great acting, you know? So there's this controversy that comes out with uh Tippi Hedren. Uh she was the lead actress in The Birds. Um, she said that Hitchcock became obsessed with her and sexually harassed her. Um, according to her, he reportedly isolated her from the rest of the crew and he had her followed and would whisper obscenities to her.
3: Oh, this is the original me too movement. Okay.
0: okay. Yeah.
1: Who cares? Well,
0: I think this actually, <laughs> this actually, like, I think it came out like around the time of me too. So that, that is also suspect. Definitely. Um, but
2: oh, actually, this guy that's dead already, yeah, he used to scream right? obscenities at me,
0: and maybe also that was just Hitchcock pranking one of his classic pranks, you
1: know. Um, she's too
0: sensitive. Um, now there's this book that came out, The Dark Side of Genius. Um, Hitchcock he asked, uh, apparently, like in this book, they have a whole account where. Uh, Hitchcock asked two members of his crew during the filming of the birds to keep watch on Hendren Uh, He wanted to know when she left the set where she went who she visited how she spent her free time Uh, He then advised her on what she should eat um, Who she, she should see and how she should live He told other cast and crew that they were not allowed to talk to her Um, The co-star in The Birds, Rod Taylor, he said that...
1: Is that the tan guy?
0: Yeah, that's the tan guy. (laughs) Um, He said that... Hitch was becoming very
2: domineering and covetous of Tippi. It was very difficult for her. No one was permitted to come physically close to her during the production. Don't touch the girl after I call cut, he said to me repeatedly.
0: See, right there. He sounds like a hero.
3: <laughs> so, so
0: I, yeah, I mean, or he's like saving her for himself. Or he just Either
1: like way. I feel like he maybe just wanted her to like play her role very like specifically and so he may have been like controlling but just so that like she would stay in line and like do what she was supposed to because he wanted his movie to be perfect yeah it's like he the, probably didn't give a fuck about her it's he like just, the handcuff
0: gag yeah, yeah. he's just he, <laughs> same, you know same um now hitchcock apparently attempted on one occasion to grab and violently kiss her in Who the wouldn't? back of a car um now this is also debated. Like all like her claims are debated in general uh by a lot of Hitchcock's other former leading ladies cuz a lot of people do say he he became like obsessed with some of his like lead actresses in films. Um but a lot of other like leading ladies do dispute <laughs> the legitimacy of her claims because she still like spoke at his funeral. She's full of shit. She like uh <laughs> she didn't come out with this shit until like way later. And people like asked her about this. Um, and she has some stuff to say, which we'll get into, but another, uh, she's got a book to write. I'm sure. Another quick tidbit. (laughs) Um, on Hindron and shit. So most of the birds in the film are real, although they did spend nearly 200K on mechanical birds. Some expensive-ass birds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> especially, oh. like, they just look like puppets.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, now, the special effects shots of the attacking birds were actually completed at Walt Disney Studios. Interesting fact. Hmm. Hmm. Um Now... Hendren recalled the week that she did the final bird attack scene in the second floor bedroom was the worst week of her life. Um, She was assured that the crew would use mechanical birds. Instead, she spent five days with prop men who were protected by thick leather gloves flinging doves, dozens of live gulls, ravens, and crows at her, and their beaks were clamped shut with elastic (laughs) bands. So there's... (laughs) Hitchcock says like, yeah, we're, we're going to use fake birds. She gets up there and it's just five days of tags of stunt guys just hurling birds <laughs> at, at
3: her. Bird bukkake, basically. <laughs> yeah.
0: And Hitchcock's in the corner just go again, <laughs> just throwing birds at her. Um, now, one of the birds actually gouged her cheek and just narrowly missed her eye. Um, And she sat down and began to cry. A physician ordered a week's rest, and Hitchcock actually protested this. He was saying there's nobody else to film. Like, she has to keep working. And the doctor asked if he was trying to kill her. Now, given all this, I mean, I guess it's like, who knows if her claims of sexual harassment are real or not? You know, are we going to choose to believe her? Um, Some say no, some say yes. It's really up in the air. The world may never know. Um but uh hendron herself she did have this to say about hitchcock
1: he ruined my career but he didn't ruin my life that time of my life was over i still admire the man for who he was i've been able to separate the two the man who was the artist i mean what he gave to the most in picture industry can never be taken away from him, and I certainly wouldn't want to try. But on the other side, there is that dark side that was really awful.
3: Hey, that was good. Thanks. I'm now say can... my my the weather is wilty. <laughs>
0: Now, so like a candy bar on the windowsill. So even she's saying like the guy, he did some good, but he was still, you know, trying to fucking finger me in the back of the cab. <laughs> now, do we like, okay, so Burbado. let's say, let's say Hitchcock did do like his little sexual an- ant antics tried to kiss her
3: his yeah. jokes. They're jokes, dude.
0: Okay. So that's what we're taking. We're, are we going to separate the art from the artist?
1: I, I don't care either okay. way.
0: It so yes. Like them, yeah. it's like the it's like the Jeepers Creepers thing, you know? Like mm. the director oh. of Jeepers Creepers is a convicted pedophile. He was diddling kids on set. Um, Are you gonna support any movie he comes out with or no? Yeah, if I like the fucking movie. <laughs> so uh, you're a <laughs> proponent of separating the art from the artist. Sep-
1: completely separate. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I agree. I'm not going to go diddle some kids with them, but, but I do. <laughs> if it makes a good film, he makes a good film. Yeah, so, I can't change that.
0: Okay, so you're going to be still bumping R. Kelly and Michael Jackson, no a matter how many. hundred and ten <laughs> percent. Okay. Hey, you know, I like listening to some
2: Nirvana. I'm not going to go blow my brains out though.
0: Well, I'm not saying you do. This <laughs> okay, is completely that's different. Much <laughs> <that's> different. Not, <laughs> not, I'm not saying you are going to just automatically diddle kids <laughs> because you watch Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, but I'm I think, saying, you know. Some I mean, people protest okay,
2: that. this isn't even going to sound good, but... Oh, God. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I can't wait for this. If you're saying the claims against him is that he cursed at her and tried to kiss her in a cab, I mean, I think there's like a lot of more sick fucks out there than totally. Alfred Hitchcock. Okay. I
1: and mean- like, just be a woman and tell him to fuck off and continue your day. Like, why does it have to be some big dramatic thing?
0: Okay, there. I mean, that's the woman' perspective on it, you know. As well,
1: a, I think. Well,
2: also, <laughs> he could have, you know, had some balls himself and said, "Hey, look, I want you to stick to your fucking role. Do this, do exactly. that." Instead of having yeah, some fucking true. weirdos follow her around and yeah, that is weird. Tell her his tell her every move to him. That shit is kind of weird, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, it kind of just seems like he was like a little like obsessed and like stalky, almost like he's a stalker. Yeah, and uh, as we know from his films, maybe a voyeur. Mm. Now, either way. Now to round this one out, I mean, we'll get in like so. Some of his influences, like when he was coming up, obviously Charlie Chaplin, uh, W. D. Griffith, Buster Keaton. Um, Now, he was also like heavily influenced by German expressionist films. Um, These were like Nosferatu, The Cabinet of Doctor Caligari, classic Halloween films. Um, and this is where he got, like, a lot of his techniques from. Um, when he was working at the studios, like, back back in the day, before he was directing, um, he actually watched part of the making of F.W. Marnau's film, The Last Laugh, in 1924. Um, this had a major impression on him, and he would actually later use many of the techniques he witnessed on set in his own productions. Um, this is, like... Camera movement is like big with Hitchcock. Um, he was a huge proponent of like the camera needs to like help visually tell the story. um he he thought the camera should take on human qualities. This is where we get that male gaze. Um it should like roam around, like look around the room, look at important things, um you know, pan the room, show close ups of objects. Um, it allows the audience to see certain plot elements um, that help them like uncover the story like we talked about with his bomb technique. Um, so like the importance of camera movement was huge, and this stemmed from Hitchcock's days working in the silent film. because um, before Hitchcock came along and was doing all this crazy shit with the camera movement, it was just like cut, cut, like, you know, just steady shot, steady shot. So he really helped like pioneer that. Now as far as like, let's do another round robin right here. We wanna get to like, what's your guys' favorite films of his? I would say my faves are
2: probably Rear Window, Psycho, Vertigo. Okay, top three.
1: Rear Window,
0: Rope, and The Birds. Teabag, Psycho, the only one you've seen?
3: That's it. <laughs> That's the only one no, i Oh, Parts
0: of the Birds. Don't worry about that <laughs> Okay. That's
3: true.
0: I um, yeah, a fucking trailer for it one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to say either Psycho or Rope. Now, is there any like that you guys just don't like? Is there any Hitchcock film you've seen that you're like, that was like a piece of dog shit? <laughs> I don't think that of any of his yeah. movies, but I will...
2: Back up Lexi's claim that the first time I watched Vertigo when I didn't really have as much of an appreciation for film as I do now.
1: Okay. So are I you, is that a jab like, at me?
2: No, I was just, <laughs> let me finish. Oh, Jesus please. Christ. <laughs> please calm down. I The first time I watched it before having like any real, you know, openness to film, I was like, this is fucking boring. What the fuck? Why am I watching this? Kind of I didn't fall asleep, but yeah,
0: I will that's say great. though vertigo is like very long, and a lot of it is like more like romance type than snooze, but there there is <laughs> the twist, I think is worth it, so you know, maybe go ahead and rewatch, pick up the notepad the only movie I've ever
2: fallen asleep in
1: ever
0: anchorman two one movie
2: and that movie was dog shit, so I got an excuse
3: that's fair
0: all right now. Now, sadly, we'll get to the man's downfall to round this one out. Um, so, And it
2: wasn't grabbing pussy, apparently.
1: Also, how do you know how old he was when he died?
0: Yes, I do. We'll oh. get to that in just a moment. Okay. Now, Hitchcock, as we've made the jokes about, heavyset guy. You know, husky guy, we'll say. To say the least. Big um, <laughs> boned. Now, his typical... So he tried, like, some weight loss back in the 40s, like, at the start of his career. Um now right. his Yes, yeah, I mean you'll see. So so Hitchcock's typical <laughs> dinner before his attempt at weight loss had been a roast chicken, boiled ham, potatoes, bread, vegetables, relishes, salad, dessert, a bottle of wine, top it all off with some brandy. Nice. Wow. Now to lose weight, he stopped drinking. Uh he drank black coffee for breakfast and lunch. Sounds like you. And he ate steak and salad for dinner. Ryan's on that Hitchcock diet uh, now. This was also hard to maintain. Um, so his his weight would like fluctuate considerably over like the next forty years. And um, at the end of forty three, despite the weight loss, um, his insurance company still refused him life insurance. <laughs> wow. So, uh, you know, as like he, he struggled with weight his whole career. Um, Now, Frenzy in 1972, this was his second-to-last film, and basically it's what's known as his last good film. Um, After this, he became a a heavy drinker. Um, His health started to decline, and April 28th of 1980, our buddy old Alf died of liver failure peacefully in his sleep at the age of 80.
2: Pour one out for the guy.
0: Yeah, so pour one out for Alf um what was he drinking the brandy still yeah he was a big uh brandy guy huge brandy guy. guys in all his movies it actually made me want to go buy a bottle of brandy and like Ugh. drink that that's like very classy right
3: you should have for this episode
0: i know i should have i just you know i just couldn't make it to the liquor store just couldn't make it right down the street yep um so, <laughs> so the guy doesn't
2: like to drive doesn't want to get a parking ticket
0: so there we have it—the uh, life and times of Alfred Hitchcock. Now I will say, like, I would say he is the most famous director, and I think he's also like a rare, f- like, there's nobody else like him because he was a guy who was like completely self-taught. He just gotten his foot, uh, he's got his foot in the door, like right in the transition of like silent film to sound films. Um, self-taught everything like this guy also evolved with cinema like you can see that like his career was so long that he evolved all these techniques and also helped to evolve like cinema as it is today i mean he was basically making movies up until he died right yeah pretty much now pretty
2: much a 60 year career if you count his early on
0: Yeah, and like a lot of his films now routinely appear in like uh, polls of greatest films of all time. Um, You know, even in like his early years, he was dismissed as being like a populist entertainer. Um, And it was only when a group of French critics developed what became known as auteur theory. Uh, This was like um, a director of a film was recognized the same way as like an author or painter. Because like before this, that really didn't exist. Um we mentioned that Hitchcock never won an Oscar for best director, but he did win for best picture, but at the time that was credited more to the producer. It wasn't like today where you got like these famous directors like Nolan, uh, Tarantino and like you know their work. So Hitchcock, he kind of like helped to develop that. And it was the whole the whole like auteur critics and everything where his work began to be like reevaluated. This paved the way for dismissing the notion that just because a film is popular, it it, it doesn't go without artistic merit. You know, like a, like a comic book films today. I feel like that's kind of the same storyline. You know, people just kind of write that off as like, oh, it's just like a blockbuster hit. You're just pandering to like what the audiences want. Um, but it's still they're fucking breaking records. You know, breaking box office records. Plus,
2: I mean, you got to you gotta tip your hat to Infinity War, dude. A lot of artistic merit in that.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, highest grossing film of all time. Ain't just another comic book film for all you nerds <laughs> out there. Uh, now, Hitchcock would also popularize the MacGuffin. This is uh, like an object or a device around which the plot revolves. Uh, this helps, like, push the narrative forward. And it's, like, important to the people in the film, but the audience, like, they don't really care about it. Um, he, he used this a lot. And also his, his themes in films focus a lot on like uh, voyeurism, uh, death, sexuality, guilt, and the family. This is like a classic in Rear Window. Uh, this is like a, a study on like voyeurism and morality. Uh, and it's also, I did not know this, influenced the film Panic
3: Room. With Jodie Foster?
0: Yep. Uh, but yeah, seen that one. Yeah, it's like uh, I think Hitchcock himself was a bit of a voyeur. He had this like whole thing on it where it's like so maybe he was an old perv. Yeah, but I think he he had this old um, I guess like philosophy that was like nine times out of ten you accidentally catch somebody out your window like undressing or like dancing or or doing something where you can see them but they think they're in private. He said like nine. People out of 10 are not going to turn away or pull the shade down and be like, I, I shouldn't be watching this. They're going to keep looking.
1: Hell yeah.
0: So you, <laughs> <laughs> are you guys the same? Are you guys a bit of voyeurs yourselves? Yeah. I watch everyone.
3: On, <laughs> I was going to say it depends on what you're looking at. I just want to go, oh, go look at windows and watch babes oh, undress.
1: Please. Yeah. That's what Adam does.
3: I wouldn't want to watch old Al plowing his wife. That's a big old dude. <laughs> but
2: if you did look in a window and see it, chances are you're you probably not turning away.
1: It away.
0: Please. I bet you donuts to dollars. If you looked out <laughs> your window and saw Alfred Hitchcock banging out Alma, you would not close your blind.
1: Yeah, you'd grab the but lotion and get to work, sweetie. That's not
3: fair. <laughs> <laughs> That's like watching a two ghosts fuck. That's not fair. That'd be cool. <laughs> okay, something similar. What? You look out
0: your window right now You see your neighbors going at it You're turning away
3: Yeah have you ever been down south You're full of shit Well you are
0: a man of high principle Adam No he isn't (laughs) 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 So master of suspense Alfred Hitchcock um, I mean that's what we got I I would say that Hitchcock He did more than any director to shape modern cinema um, Which would be Completely different without him uh, you know, like his his eye for storytelling, um, his whole use of like withholding critical information. I think like he was able to do this better than anyone and really helped shape the way that movies are today. I mean, by the last year, eight of his films have been selected for preservation by the U.S. National Film Registry. Uh, Rebecca, Shadow of a Doubt, Notorious, Rear Window, Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho and the birds. Um, so there you have it. Hell of a guy. Uh, do you guys got any, any last words on the guy before we get out of here?
2: Hey, maybe the guy was a pervert. Maybe not. Who really gives a fuck? The guy's already dead, but as Ryan already said, definitely one of the, uh, pioneers in modern film. And, uh, like him or not, you gotta at least tip the hat to him, give him the nod as uh, arguably one of the greatest of all time.
1: <clears throat> I feel like he his movies I can still watch now, and I still feel the suspense, and I'm still scared, which is honestly pretty difficult to find in like modern cinema. I feel like most movies don't scare me, and I'm I already know what's gonna happen, and I'm just bored. But I can watch his, and I'm still. Now, still pretty scared.
2: Unless it's then to go. Then, you just then I'm out. I'm <laughs>
1: snoozing.
3: <laughs> it was a different genre of horror back then. Like the guy, all, like all nowadays, it's all like gore, blood, and guts and stuff. And this, this guy really was the master of suspense from what I understand. Too lazy, didn't read. A uh, fat guy in a little coat. One, it was a control freak who had relationship issues with his mother and women. Probably only banged one broad his whole life. Good for him he was just a control freak. Wanted to control every aspect of his film and it paid off. Like obviously his films are notorious and good for him. Agreed. And there you have it.
0: Uh, if you guys want further reading, I wanted to cite, uh, biography.com, uh, the 13th floor TV for all the psycho info, uh, mercury news for the story on the birds, uh, and the BBC documentary, Living Famously uh, from 2003. Check those out if you want more information on Alf himself. And uh, once again, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, Be sure to subscribe. Um, Give us a a like, a follow on the old Instagram. And uh, one more time, from everybody here, happy
2: Halloween. Happy Halloween, y'all. As always, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for tuning in, giving us your suggestions Uh, If you do want to get in contact with us, podcast from outer space on Instagram, podcast from outer space at gmail.com is the email and podcast from outer space dot com. You can either shoot us a message on there or you can uh, pick yourself up a cool T-shirt, maybe some stickers.
0: And I would like to thank the beautiful, wonderful Lexi Ray for joining us this episode and watching nothing but Alfred Hitchcock the last few weeks.
1: Um, Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Love you all.
3: Yeah, thanks for joining us this week, Lexi. I'm glad we were finally able to get you on after all. See, I've been your biggest advocate. I told you. Finally got them.
1: You have. You're right. You're the only one. So thanks, Adam.
3: Ladies, if you enjoyed hearing Lexi this week, let us know. Maybe we'll sneak her in on another episode sometime. And uh, with that, so long and thanks for all the fish.
1: Now listen to me, all of you.